If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Now, if my message this morning begins and you seem to think that, Pastor, you got the wrong group of people to preach this message to. If you'll just stay awake and hang on till we get toward the end, okay? I'll be sure that you don't miss your balloon ride. So if you'll just stay with us, please. Pray with me, please, before we look at the Word of God. Eternal Father, we have your inerrant Word open before us. We thank you for your truth. We pray that the Spirit of God, who is the only infallible teacher, might minister to our hearts and to our minds and help us to be open to listen to what the Spirit hath to say. Thank you for loving us. And again, O oh Lord, I pray that you would see to it that we are different when we leave in a better way, more like Christ than we were when we came in. Do that for your glory, we pray, and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Judas Iscariot is, I believe, the supreme enigma of the New Testament. And I'll take it a step further. I believe he is the supreme enigma of all of the Bible. Think about this man with me for just a moment. You know that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus spoke of him very plainly, very clearly, and called him a devil. Judas was chosen by Jesus after our Lord had prayed all night. And that passage of Scripture, those, that truth is mentioned three times in, in Matthew 10, in Mark 3, and in Luke 6. Judas was chosen by Jesus after Jesus had prayed all night. And yet Judas was an instrument of crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any thoughtful consideration of this man is, I believe, nothing short of mind-boggling. And yet he is an important person in Scripture. If you just look at the amount of space given to this man, you have to conclude that he is an important person on the pages of sacred Scripture. And the thing Judas is remembered for is failure. He is perhaps the greatest failure known of all mankind. His villainous betrayal is, I believe, the blackest page of human history. But it is interesting to me because in spite of what the Bible says about this man, in spite of what we know from the pages of Scripture about this man, there are some people who try to vindicate him and rehabilitate his reputation. For example, a Scottish theologian, well recognized in theological circles, has suggested that actually Judas' intentions were good. And this man writes, it may be that Judas, listen to how many times he says maybe. It may be that Judas never intended Jesus to die. 
It may be that he saw in Jesus the divine leader. He may have thought that Jesus was proceeding far too slowly. And he may have wished for nothing else than to force his hand. He may have betrayed Jesus with the intention of compelling him to act. I don't know about you, but that just, uh, that even sounds, uh, not only, it sounds laughable to me. I mean, you want Jesus to do something, so you betray him. You've got to be kidding. Betrayal is going to lead to Calvary. So this man tells us, though, that Judas, yes, that Judas merely wanted to force Jesus to act and to establish the nation Israel and put it in a place of prominence. Someone else in a similar vein, that is to vindicate Judas, has said that Judas was the only one who really understood the fact that Jesus must die. Nobody else knew that. Nobody else understood that. Judas did. And that Judas was simply being instrumental and bringing about the will of God. You know, I, I think in the world that we live in today, uh, for just a minute, and, and forgive me, don't, don't linger on this, but politicians have a way of, uh, of rebuilding their reputation or somebody else's reputation. But these people go, uh, go far and away more. They're, they're better at trying to rehabilitate Judas than anybody we can think of today in this world. This second writer goes on to say, Actually, Judas was simply instrumental in bringing about the will of God. And therefore, we shouldn't think of Judas as a traitor. Can you imagine that? We shouldn't think of Judas as a traitor. These are interesting theories. And I suppose if we did not know something from the Scriptures, we might even find some measure of plausibility in one of these Two statements from leading theologians. But we are acquainted with Scripture. We do know what God in His Word says. And God in His Word gives us a completely different picture. Of Judas we read in Matthew 26, verse 24. Woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And then listen to this. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Dear people, you can't rehabilitate uh, a reputation like that. Jesus said it would have been better for him if he had never been born. And that is a, a summary statement and a reflection of all that the New Testament teaches us about this man, Judas Iscariot. Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, likewise, the Old Testament gives us an equally sad portrayal of this man. But that said, how do we know the Old Testament has anything at all to say about Judas Iscariot? After all, if you take Strong's Concordance, which I hope you have in your library at home because uh, we, we need study tools like that, and if you take Strong's Concordance, and open it to Judas Iscariot, you'll not find one single reference to his name in the Old Testament. And yet I have said the Old Testament speaks of this man. Keep your place in Matthew 26, and turn with me please to Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> the last part of Acts 1 has to do with the selection of someone to take the place of Judas in the 12. And ultimately, if you look at 126, we read, And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. But prior to that final scene there in the selection of Matthias, prior to that, Peter had some words to say about Judas. Back up to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 150, uh, and 20 persons were there gathered, and said, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Where do we read anything about David? Well, largely, that's in the Old Testament, my friend. Foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. <clears throat> For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Hakeldama, that is the field of blood. And now if we miss the reference to David and, and fail to pick that up, uh, if you'll look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms that his homestead be made desolate and let no man dwell in it and his office let another man take. And all of that had been fulfilled. So in verse 16, Peter tells us that David had something to do and had something to say concerning Judas. And then he quotes two other passages in verse 20. Two verses he quotes there. Uh, the Old Testament does speak of him. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 20. And I want to call your attention to verse 20 especially. For there Peter quotes from two passages in the Psalms. Let his homestead be desolate and let no man dwell therein. That is a quote from Psalm 69 verse 25. Psalm 69 verse 25. And that verse continues. His office, let another take that. That comes from Psalm 109 verse 8. So quite clearly, Peter tells us that these references in Psalms speak of Judas Iscariot. So Old Testament and New Testament alike give us a sad and tragic picture of this man, Judas. Now, if you'll come back with me, please, to Matthew chapter 27. We have the setting for this particular passage in verses 1 and 2. Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2. You follow along, let me read. Now when morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him up to Pilate, the governor. Let me break off right there. 
Remember, recall, if you will, that the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ was in two parts. There was an ecclesiastical trial, and in the ecclesiastical trial, the charge against Jesus was blasphemy. And there were three aspects to that first trial. There was a preliminary hearing in which Jesus appeared before Annas. Keep in mind that Annas was actually the power behind Caiaphas. So he appeared before Annas. Second, there was an illegal night meeting. They were not supposed to be able to do that, and they couldn't legally do that, but they met at night, and that meeting was before Caiaphas. Third part of the first trial, there had to be a formal trial before the Sanhedrin the next morning, and what they did the next morning was simply to confirm what they had done the night before. They affirmed that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. But Sanhedrin had a problem. The Sanhedrin knew that the Romans would not accept this religious accusation that Jesus had blasphemed, speaking of himself as the Messiah. So it was necessary for the Jewish leaders to come up with a charge that would be accepted by the Roman authorities. And therefore, they invented, out of whole cloth, really, they invented the charge of treason. So you have the ecclesiastical trial. The charge was blasphemy. You have the second part, a civil trial, and the charge there was treason. Treason. And as in the first part, in the second part, there were three particulars with this second trial, second part of the trial. First of all, Jesus appeared before Pilate the first time, and was questioned. Pilate heard that Herod was in town, so he sent Jesus to Herod. But Herod wouldn't do anything about the charge, and so he sent Jesus back to Pilate. Based on the charge of treason, Jesus was condemned to die. This, then, is the setting or the background. Judas was observing all of this. He knew what was going on. He had been party to this. We come now to verses 3 through 5, and the suicide of Judas Iscariot. Verse 3, then when Judas, who betrayed him, saw, as I said, he was in the background. Judas saw what was going on. He knew what was going on. He had been party to it. He felt remorse. In the middle of verse 3, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. Again, I say, Judas was standing where he could see all of this taking place. And when Jesus was taken to be crucified, bitter remorse came to this man, Judas Iscariot. Now, we need to say a word or two about that. He felt remorse. Let me ask you a question. Is Judas born again? 
Stay with me. Before we talk about the actual meaning of this word remorse, there's some more background material that will help us in our understanding. Let me mention a couple of things about Judas not mentioned in this particular text in Matthew chapter 27. First of all, Judas was chosen by our Lord just like the rest of the apostles. Jesus, as we've already indicated, had been in prayer all night. So the selection of Judas Iscariot was not an accident. The Gospel of Mark says to us, our Lord chose whom he would. And so we must come to the place where we conclude that Judas' inclusion was intentional. Jesus deliberately chose Judas. It was the will of God that Judas was chosen as one of the twelve. Also, in addition to the betrayal, we have other details that show that uh, the character of this man, Judas, has to be combined with all of the Gospels. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but in John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus referred to Judas as a devil. In chapter 6, verse 70 of John, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Those are the words of our Lord. And then, as if to underscore the identification in John verse six, excuse me, John chapter six, verse seventy-one, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Just a bit further along, we have some added indications about Judas' motivation. Judas was not a man who was motivated by love. Judas Iscariot was a man who was motivated by money. You remember in John 12 when Mary of Bethany broke the container of oil and anointed the Lord Jesus? You remember Judas' response? I can almost hear him in a loud voice. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? He's concerned about the poor. He wants to take care of the poor. Sounds very pious. Sounds like a man of great social concern. But Jesus rebuked Judas for that. And in the next verse of that chapter, we learn that Judas wasn't concerned about the poor at all. Jesus said, this he said, that is what Judas had said about why wasn't this money taken and Uh, given to the poor. Jesus said, this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag or the purse, and he bore what was in it. He was a treasurer for the twelve, and he was stealing their money. From the same instance, we learn in the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, Judas was a man Hear me well. Judas was a man who had the respect of the other 11. For when the ointment was used to anoint Jesus, Judas objected. You read the text, and the other 11 joined with Judas in that objection. They obviously thought Judas was right. Why wasn't this 
sold and the money given to the poor. I can't be dogmatic about this, but it seems to me that just perhaps, just perhaps, Judas was the natural leader of the twelve and not Peter. After all, you read about Judas' background in his history. He was the lone Judean. He was the cultured one. He wasn't a fisherman. He was respected and followed by the twelve. And you can read that in the Word of God. The others join with Judas in objecting to the ointment being used to anoint the Savior. Somehow, we often think of Judas as a a furtive, not-to-be-associated-with apostle. The kind of an individual who's always sitting on the back row because he didn't want to get too close. No, No offense intended intended those who sit on the back row. But Judas was not like that at all. He was not, as one commentator put put it very well, this commentator said that he was not the lurid, sneering, sinister, satanic-looking Mephistopheles. Judas was a fine, upstanding man. Had there been a united fund in that day, Judas Iscariot would have been the president. A bank president kind of man. Remember, who was it that was seated beside Jesus at the Last Supper? Right, Judas. Judas was not a man that, 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 if you read the New Testament, he was not a man who was always out on the periphery, just kind of looking around, seeing what he could do. He was not a man of the periphery. He was a man of the pulpit. If you had a church service and the apostles were here, Judas would be on platform. Judas might have been, might be appointed a treasurer in a church. He might be in the pulpit preaching in a church. You would naturally have had confidence in this man, Judas. But he betrayed Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. And that's what's written over his life. But we need to take a look at his whole life. And in spite of all the other things, in spite of his presence with the Lord at the Last Supper, uh, in spite of all of the things, he betrayed the Lord Jesus. This Judas, if I can go back to it now, had remorse, the Bible says. What's that mean? Generally speaking, in the New Testament, in the original language, this word that's rendered remorse here means an annoyance at the consequences of an act or a course of acts. Someone observed, Judas had pain of mind, but no change of mind. Judas regretted what he had done because he regretted what was happening to him. There was no genuine repentance from Judas Iscariot, only regret. And I base that on the words used in the original text. Remorse and annoyance 
at what was happening to him, not any repentance over what the act itself. You know, I don't really need to explain this very much. If you have children, you know exactly what we're talking about, don't you? Um, ever discipline your child by, as I heard my dad and many others put it, uh, applying the board of education to the seat of learning? And you hear the the. the, the Plaintive cries, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you know the little rascal's not sorry. He's just sorry he got caught. Now, I love our kids, but that's still the truth. Okay? Not sorry about the deed. And that was Judas. He was not sorry for what he had done. He was sorry for what was happening to him. There is no evidence found anywhere that Judas got down on his knees or any other way confessed and acknowledged his sin before the Lord God and asked forgiveness. The only place Judas confessed was to the Sanhedrin. Okay? And you can confess all you want to to the Sanhedrin, but that won't get you cleansing. He never had any confession as far as the Lord is concerned. He only had remorse, and that remorse at being caught is what led him to commit suicide. And hear me well, I believe that act in itself is further indication that Judas Iscariot never repented in a biblical sense. I believe suicide is an act of rebellion against God. To commit suicide is to defy God. Who gives life? It's a miracle. It comes from God. When is life over? When the Lord takes that life. And anything done to change that is in defiance of God Almighty. I know how long I'm supposed to live. I know how long I want to live and I'll take my life. Is defying God. Judas went out and hanged himself. Now the next verses in the text here in Matthew 27 record for us the purchase of the potter's field with Judas' blood money. Verse 6, follow along, please. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them back into the treasury since they are the price of blood. And they counseled together. And with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Interesting. The religious leaders show to all the world their supercilious hypocrisy. They gave them the money, but they wouldn't take it back because they said that would mess up the treasury. They couldn't be a part to that. And so Judas takes his 30 pieces of silver, throws them back. They can't use them in the treasury. So they put the money to a secular use and bought a potter's field. In other words, a field from which potters would obtain clay. And the field more than likely had been depleted of that kind of clay. And therefore, it was put up for sale. It is called a field of blood in our text because it was purchased with blood money. In this, Matthew sees fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verse 9. 
Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Listen to me well. I close. Judas was a man in a wonderful, marvelous position. He was an apostle. He had a wonderful opportunity. But he became a son of perdition. Sometimes we think of the story of Judas as being a story, as I mentioned at the beginning, to preach to the whole world. I don't think it is. May I say to you, I believe that the sermon on Judas is not for outsiders, but is a message for insiders. Judas is a message for the faithful. Judas is a message for those who meet with the saints regularly. The message about Judas is for those who've been through the waters of baptism. It's for those who gather around the Lord's table. Judas Iscariot did all these things. This is a message for insiders, not outsiders. A message about Judas is, I believe, and should be directed toward people who have made their confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me well. Look at the life of Judas and remember this. It's possible for individuals to make outward confession, to meet with the saints regularly, to be baptized, to sit at the Lord's table, to to be a member of the church, to have a prestigious position in the church. It's possible for individuals to do all these things just like Judas and to do these things for years. And throughout all those years and throughout all those activities, never really come to know Jesus as personal Savior. It's possible for that to happen. And I think that's the greatest illustration of the life of Judas Iscariot. Judas is one of the twelve, and yet he was a son of perdition. He went to his own place. That's what we've seen in Scripture. May I say to you that each of us has our own place. Heaven or hell? Which is it? Poet said this, and I like this. Lord, when I read the traitor's doom, to his own place consigned, what holy fear and humble hope alternate fill my mind. Traitor to thee, I too have been, but saved by matchless grace, or else the lowest Hottest hell had surely been my place. Let me ask you something this morning. Serious question. Do you know that you've been born again? Remorse isn't good enough. There must be genuine repentance before God. Almost is but to fail. Are you real this morning? Can you say, preacher, 
If I died this afternoon, I know I would go to heaven. Don't give me this, I hope so mess. That's to fail. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've asked Him to come into my life and to be my Savior. I acknowledge before Him my sin, and He has cleansed me. Can you say, I know, if I die today, I'd go to heaven. If you can't say that, what kind of joy can you have when you leave this place this morning? Well, maybe I will, and maybe I won't. What kind of hope is that? Does that give any satisfaction that's lasting at all? No. You couldn't be much closer to Jesus than this man, Judas. But he was lost. You can sit in a church pew until, from the time your parents can take you there until the time they roll you down the aisle on the way to the graveyard and never be a Christian. Are you sure? You know, folks, my message this morning has not been designed at all to cause anyone doubt about their faith. I just want to know, have you taken that step of asking Jesus to be your Savior? Have you confessed your sins to Him? And do you know that you're born again? If you don't, invitation's open. May I say to you, God loved you. If there had only been one person in all the universe, God would have given His Son for you. He would have died. That Son would have died for you that you could have your sins forgiven. Do you know Jesus as Savior? If you don't, I will meet you here at the close of the, uh, as we sing the invitational hymn. I'll meet you here. If you have questions, if you've, not, if you've not yet trusted Christ, if you're on the way, our one of our deacons will take the Word of God and do our very best to show you on the Romans road to salvation how you can become a Christian. It may well be there's somebody in this place this morning who is certain, yes, Pastor, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I know that. But I've been living like the devil himself. Oh, I come to church, and I look pretty good when I come to church. And I say the right things, and I sing the hymns, and I smile and greet other people in church, and all that's nice. But it won't get you to heaven. Do you know you're on your way to heaven? And, and, and then this matter of Christian living, does your life reflect your living for Jesus? Pray with me. Our Father, I pray for your glory and for our good that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts this morning. We do not know how many more days we have on this earth. Help us not to be procrastinators, to put off coming to faith in Jesus, of being real with Him and with ourselves so that we can say, in response to the pastor's question, do you know? You can say, yes, I know, pastor. I'm going to heaven. Maybe there's a child of God in this place this morning whose life is a mess and they're not living for Jesus anymore. 
I pray you'd speak to that heart. Jesus is not vindictive. He is loving. He is gracious. And he is forgiving. May that individual come to him again in prayer and ask for cleansing and ask forgiveness and be assured because of the word of God that he will receive that forgiveness and that cleansing. Thank you, Father, for hearing us as we pray. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Joey, pray for us, will you? Um, I am am eternally thankful for the men that fought under this flag to defend that symbol right there. And I am gracious to to be a part of this great country. Um, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that is um, so well said in his last days. He said that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we are so thankful for the gifts of this nation. And we are thankful for the gift of your life, God. Lord, we, uh, we just come to you this morning. We welcomed you in, this, in our church. And we are commanded to keep you in our heart as we go away from here, Lord. Lord, help us to look to you in all things that we do and say, God, in, in this time of so much turmoil around us, help us to keep one thing in mind, that you are in control, God. Lord, there are so many around us that are sick and ailing. We lift those people up to you this morning, God, and we, we know that, that you have them in your heart this morning, God. Lord, we, uh, we lift up our mission of the week, uh, Ashley and Heather Hallman through crew, as they crusade and, and work for you, Christ, uh, as, uh, as, as uh, members at Penn State University, as they reach out to the graduate students and the faculty there, Lord. Lord, uh, please again just keep us close to you in these coming weeks, Lord. And we, uh, we just thank you so much for all you've done for this church body and for us as believers, Lord. Guide us and direct us as we go away from here and keep us safe and bring us back next week together, Lord. We ask all these things through Christ's holy name. Amen.